Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. The streets glistened silently outside my window. I was glad the rain had stopped. The gloomy skies did nothing to alleviate this sick grasp of anxiety in my stomach. I traced the remnants of drops on the sill, straining to hear the crunch of the wheels on the gravel, which would tell me my husband was finally home. But it was not yet seven. The harsh words from yesterday's phone call still grated in my ears. I'm telling you, my flight is delayed. Damn it, woman. I don't even feel like coming home. I had felt a chill run down my spine as he voiced my worst fears, and even as I looked up at his flight status online and saw it landed an hour ago, I had known it was only a matter of time. I'm not a paranoid wife. I wouldn't have logged into his email and noted down his itinerary in detail if it hadn't been a passing fling. I love my husband more than anything in the world and I was willing to swallow a few late nights and the new smell of vanilla on his shirts. But the nights stretched into days and weeks and work trips that had never been there before. At first, I was really quiet about it. I cooked his favorite meals, organized outings, and paraded around in lingerie that he used to go crazy over, even months ago. But then he slipped further and further away, and I spent every night biting my fist trying not to let my sobs tear me apart as I lay alone in our big, beautiful bed. But I love my husband more than anything in the world, and he belongs with me. I would not allow it to be otherwise. When we had first met in college, he had been with another girl, an ordinary bird brain who hadn't deserved him. It wasn't very long before I took care of that. When he told his mother he wanted to marry me, she opposed it vehemently. On the day of our wedding, I shed tears and assured him that spiteful bitch was smiling down at us from heaven. It was time for me to take my husband back again. A bang startled me out of my fretful reverie. I bit my lip as the key turned in the lock and he entered the house, looking like he'd returned from a party instead of a weary ten hours at the airport. I greeted him with my usual bright smile and did my best not to flinch as the smell of vanilla hit my nostrils when he walked past me to the bedroom. I thought I would finish washing up in the kitchen. That would distract me. He walked in there five minutes later while I was wiping my big knife, like I knew he would. He had noticed the silence in the house. Where's Leo? Our golden retriever, my husband's wedding gift from his father. Leo and I tolerated each other for his sake, but I hated how much he loved that dog. I was never any good at sharing. How was your flight? He looked annoyed, like I knew he would. My husband is predictable, as people are to one another when they've been married for ten years. But I loved how well I knew him, and could sift through the humming thoughts in his brain. Good. I asked you where Leo was. That's all he could think about after being away for ten days. I was glad he was gone. 
so my husband could finally focus on me. On us. He's gone, and you need to stop seeing her, or she'll follow. I could almost hear his heart turn over, in that well-muscled chest of his. What did you do? I smiled. The knife in my hand shined when the light fell on it. It pleased me so much. I pride myself on a clean kitchen. There's a fresh patch of earth in the garden. Please remember not to trample on the new grass. The handle on the knife wasn't clean enough. I knew that would worry me, so I started working on that next. My husband stared at me like he was seeing a new woman, but he wasn't. Of course he knew deep down I love him more than anything in the world, and I would do anything for us. What do you want me to do? He whispered. I noticed his white knuckles gripping the edge of the table, and I went over and placed my hand over them. I tried not to feel hurt when he recoiled from my touch. I know it was difficult for him, but I also know he now understands how important our marriage is to me. He's not going to leave me again. So I told him what to do, and giggled as he called her up and told her he never loved her. Her cries were music to my ears, and I almost forgot about the lonely vigil these last few months. Almost. Do you love me? Yes. But I didn't like how he said that, like the word tore out of him. So I made him call everyone who knew about his floozy, and tell them how he realized that there was never anyone else for him but me, and nothing would break us apart. Then I poured him his favorite whiskey, and as he grew incoherent with grief for that wretched dog, I drew him to me and smiled as the familiar desire shut everything else out for both of us. When we were sitting across from each other at the dining table, when the doorbell rang, I got up and opened the door before the scratching and yapping got worse. So how was the movie? I stepped aside as Leo yanked his leash from our neighbor's grasp and launched himself at my husband. Love the ending. Thanks for looking after him. I'm not referring to police sirens, ambulance sirens, or anything of that sort. That would be preferable at this point. It's been about 24 odd hours since the civil defense sirens began their shrill, deafening roar, waking up my entire city. It's omnipresent, forever signaling some sort of attack, some sort of assault on the city. A sleepy, medium-sized, midwestern town, whose only claim to recognition is having an above-average obesity rate. But worse yet, there isn't a single news story on the matter, not even so much as a comment from the local news station or my nosy neighbors on Twitter. The sirens picked up around 5 a.m. last night, jolting me from my already less-than-peaceful slumber. My neighbor, something of a kook, mind you, seemed to have been screaming in the early morning hours. My initial reaction was that the sirens were a mistake, a sort of false alarm, akin to what had happened over in Hawaii years prior. Within minutes, I got a myriad of concerned texts from my neighbors and acquaintances, including the hectic group chat between myself and my perpetually misinformed boomer neighbors. A twister, maybe? I don't remember reading about rain. Ain't no twister, you stupid. It's probably the Chinese. Damn it, Jim, ain't no Chinese gonna bomb us. Nothing of value here. I began to develop an agonizing migraine about 15 minutes into the siren song, likely only exacerbated by the incoherent musings of my social circle. 
I went to walk outside for a bit of relief, but right before my sweaty palm touched the doorknob to walk out, a new notification came across my phone screen. Emergency alert. Tornado warning is in this area till 5.45 a.m. Central. Stay away from windows and take shelter now. Check local media. NWS. I paused and walked back to my kitchen, a little bit puzzled. We hadn't received any thunderstorms lately, had we? I'd have known. In fact, hell, I'd definitely have known. I work with the National Weather Service. What the hell? We didn't send this notification. My mind began to wander, trying to rationalize this alert and the sirens that seemed to only be amplifying. I hurried onto my laptop and plugged in the link to the ongoing Doppler radar. I was correct. No storms within a 200-mile radius. Understandably a little freaked out, I found a co-worker of mine at the NWS, who I hoped was working graveyard. I just prayed he hadn't made an error that scared the living bejesus out of our town. Hey, Craig, he answered. Yeah, look, man, did we send that alert? The sirens are freaking everybody out. The tornado alert, everything. What happened? He paused for a second and seemed to mutter something under his breath. Something to the effect of, their muffin? That can't be right. Listen, he picked back up. We found a credible threat of severe weather, and the local authorities were then notified to authorize the sirens. I scoffed and picked back up the phone. What the hell are you talking about? What severe weather? These sirens, they're... Oh my god, they're obnoxious. Can the boss give the local whatever the call for the local authorities to just shut them off? This is out of my control, Craig. What? Just stay inside. Please, just just stay inside. There's a credible threat. Without the line abruptly cut out, my phone played back that shrill, automated message of, We're sorry. The person you're trying to reach has been disconnected. I kicked the ever-loving crap out of my wall and cursed profusely before regaining my composure. My co-worker seemed more concerned than agitated, and at the very least, authentic in his seeming fear. But this wasn't tornado levels of fear. We'd both seen our fair share of insane storms come across the radar that we knew could produce tornadoes. Worse yet, we never thought much of them. We'd authorized a text alert, but never, ever would we have to kick in the civil defense sirens. I got a few text notifications from neighbors, asking me to meet them outside. One text chain so eloquently read, Twisters? <laughs> it's sunny. I'm going outside to check. While I was reading on Facebook that Osama and pals were planning an attack, Osama's dead, jackass. You don't know that. The incoherent hordes of texts coming across my screen from conspiratorial old folk were too much to handle. They seemed to be meeting out in the street to discuss and try to talk over the incredibly loud, insanely persistent air sirens. They just kept chirping. They'd slow down, thing and ring in your ears all over again. Not wanting to see my neighbors, I turned on my TV and set the channel to the local news. Before I could listen in, I heard a change in tone from the sirens. I mean, they were still absolutely drowning out any and all noises in my house, but I could faintly hear another pitch beneath them, almost like a faint squeal. I shrugged it off, tried to remain nonplussed, and kicked on the aptly titled Early Bird News. Wait, where the hell are the newscasters? Tom and Dana are usually on at 5.30 every morning. 
On my silver screen was the instantly recognizable channel redacted newsroom. Just minus the news team. Yet the headlines rolled across the screen regardless. Some political, others about local events. But nothing mentioning severe weather or these insanely annoying sirens. Frustrated, I went to check on my friends outside. But as I inched closer to my front door, I could hear that immensely irritating pitch beneath the sirens. Curious. I began to take a few steps back and noticed a definitive change in tone. No more faint garbles beneath the sirens, just the roar of that oh-so-annoying, whoa-oh-no. Another text notification caught my glimpse on the screen. Emergency alert. Tornado warning lifted. All clear to resume your day? Check local media. NWS. I breathed a sigh of relief for just a second, but my anxieties weren't assuaged. In fact, I was more suspicious than before. The tornado warning was lifted, but the air sirens kept howling, this time tangibly louder. I could just tell. Another text notification. Has anybody seen Marcy? She was supposed to come back inside for tea, but she's not answering her phone. Really? Same with Susan. I'll go out and see what's going on. Seconds later, that hissing, awful pitch beneath the sirens kicked back up, this time far stronger than before. In fact, this time I realized it wasn't just a frequency, nor a pitch. I walked over by the door to get a better listen, and it hit me. They're the screams of my neighbors, and the sirens aren't meant to drown them out. It's been another 23 hours, and I eagerly await a news broadcast, or a text notification, or even a tweet explaining what's going on. My migraine is so excruciating now that I feel my head might explode. I wonder, more worryingly, what became of my neighbors, my co-workers, and my friends. But until the maddening sirens come to a close, I'm not opening my front door. As much as I want to escape the grating sound, I'm not venturing out there, lest I dare become another scream beneath the sirens. I think back to my phone conversation with my co-worker, who won't pick up his damn phone. Only now do I realize I think he had said... They're coming. The town of Gilton is only about 400 people, which is pretty small by Massachusetts standards, which is where I am initially from. I decided a country life was more my speed when I got fed up with smog and traffic, packed up my things and headed west. I wound up in Montana, in the middle of nowhere, of course. I just had to find Boston's polar opposite. Anyways... Gilton is one of those rare places with just about everyone serving a purpose in the town's own little ecosystem, and a real lack of need for outsiders. It was by a stroke of luck that I found myself able to stay in such a town. I was driving through, and had just checked into the one motel for the night. I crossed the street to the little diner serving all-day breakfast, and had ordered my omelette when I overheard two men at the counter talking. Yeah, I don't know what got into him. But he, uh, up and told me he was done. Said he was tired and his brother out in California had invited him to stay. And that he was going. So who's going to replace him, Sheriff? You know the boy we're fixing to have take his spot is too young still? I don't know. I'll probably do it myself until the boy is old enough. You know how hard it is to find outside hires. It was as if fate had slapped me right in the face. And God was holding a big flashing sign saying he 
here is your chance to find a new home. Pardon my interruption, but I happen to hear you needed someone for a job? This may seem a bit rash, but I happen to be in the market, I said, stepping towards them. We got to talking, and despite a few city slicker jokes and questions as to why I wanted to stay in Gilton, they offered me the role of animal control officer. I had some years' experience volunteering at the Humane Society back home, and honestly I don't think they would have cared if I had never seen a deer in my life. I got the impression that everyone had a role, and keeping people in those roles is how the town survived. I was allowed to stay in the motel long term for a discounted rate, and even given two adjoining rooms so as to feel more at home. I reported to the sheriff the following Monday, ready to begin my wildly impulsive career as a stray dog finder and feral cat catcher. The first few weeks went smoothly. Despite a few rabies scares and a litter of kittens no one could care for, Overall, it was about what I expected, but the pay was surprisingly decent, and each night I got to see more stars than I knew existed. My least favorite part of the job was the roadkill removal. Being in such a rural area, it was not uncommon to get calls about deer that had darted across the street, or squirrels with their guts strewn about. I'd sigh, grab my shovel, and head out to wherever the caller had said they'd hit an unexpected speed bump. My instructions were just to throw the bodies into the nearest woods and let the other animals take care of it, and I did as such without so much as a second thought. Life was simple. I was getting into the routine, until the day everything turned upside down. It was about 6.30am last Wednesday when I was driving to the town hall, where my broom closet of an office was. I noticed something on the side of the road and pulled over, figuring I would be called out to remove it soon enough anyways. As I got out of my truck, I realized it was a pretty large deer, a buck in fact, with pretty big antlers. This was something you wouldn't want to hit, it'd be a crash that would probably render your car unusable. However, there was no car in sight, not even a fender or some broken glass, as there usually was with the smaller does. I approached carefully, just in case some hunter was eyeing me, making sure I didn't take his kill. That would be a whole other situation having to deal with someone firing too close to the road, and I was not in the mood for that. I wouldn't have to worry about any hunters, though, as when I got to the deer I saw why it was dead. A gaping wound covered where its chest should be. Dried blood pooled around the lifeless body. Sitting in the middle of that puddle was the deer's heart, laying flat on the pavement. Its eyes had been carefully placed in its nostrils, facing opposite directions as if trying to imitate a funny face. I turned on my heels and vomited. This was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I could deal with a smashed up body, but this was so painstakingly and methodically done that I knew I was dealing with some sick monster. I called the sheriff and he came down, despite the fact that I had woken him on his day off. His car pulled up not ten minutes later. He must have been in a hurry. He took one look at the deer and saw his face grow pale. I didn't even bother to ask why figuring it was because he was just as disgusted as I was. Son, I've got to go down to the station. Please just dispose of this as you would normally, and don't tell anyone what you saw. I don't need a wildfire of panic spreading through my town. If you hadn't been such a good man, I probably wouldn't have listened. I grabbed my wagon I kept in the back of my truck for such things, and was hoisting the deer into it as the sheriff drove off. 
I was thinking about what could have done this. Probably some sick hunter or kid trying to be funny. A future serial killer, maybe. Who knows? As I wheeled the carcass into the woods, off to the side of the road, I was so deep in thought I nearly didn't notice the grizzlies back to me to my left. I saw it out of the corner of my eye and did a double take as I realized what it was. Slowly, I let go of the wheelbarrow and stopped in my tracks, reaching for the bear spray I'd kept on my hip since getting the job. However, the thing did not move, and I saw no signs of life. I crept towards it, spray in hand. It wasn't hibernation season, not even close. This thing had to be dead. Sure enough, when I got to the other side, my worst fears were realized. The bear's chest had a massive hole in it, heart laying in front of the body while its eyes poked curiously out of their newfound nostril sockets. Whatever was left in my stomach abandoned me, and I retched until I could barely stand. Once I had some air in my lungs again, I booked it back to the truck and drove as fast as I could to the town hall to find the sheriff. I ran into the building, deciding to ask him just what the hell was going on. I knocked on his door and felt my heart sink when there was no answer. I opened it and saw him in his desk, facing the window, his back to me. It took everything in me not to turn and run. I knew what I would find when I got close enough to him. Cautiously, I approached him and grabbed his shoulder, spinning his chair around. His ribs greeted me, and his eyes were staring right at me from their unnatural spots. Under his heart, which had been placed on his desk, was an envelope. In the sheriff's handwriting, I saw my name scrawled across the top. I carefully pulled it out from underneath the poor man's most vital organ, and opened it to find the piece of paper inside, holding the man's final words. They don't like newcomers. Newcomers.